Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, it's been too long. We've waited like 10 days since our last recording. It's been a busy week and a half for me. I don't know about for you, but it has also been a busy week and a half in the baseball world. And we wanted to start with the most important news since we recorded last. And it just happened today. So I'm thankful that we waited this long because it's it's essential that we had to talk about this. I'm talking, of course, about the fact that for the first time in his career, Joey Votto, Red's first baseman, hit a pop-up and made an out to first base. Alex, Joey Votto came up in 2007, that's 12 years, without making a pop-up to first base, and today was the day. How does this happen? Dude, I don't... Joey Votto magic or something like that. Literal black magic. This man is insane. That's more than 27,000 pitches in his career, over almost 7,000 plate appearances and there are still things that Joey mm-hmm. Votto up until this point has just never done in baseball before <laughs> ever <laughs> like like what do you like what do you do with your life after that like what do you think he goes home and like thinks about you know now that he knows that this part of him is like is no longer there i can't believe that i didn't know about this like this feels like it should have been a way bigger talking point what do you think is the longest you could go without making an out to a specific fielder? Like a pop out to the to a specific fielder, I guess. Like me personally or the average baseball player? I guess the average baseball player or you personally. I mean, you couldn't make an out to any fielder because you would just strike out every player. Wow, and so would I. And so would everyone who's not a major league baseball player. But do you think someone who's like a massive pull hitter could go their entire career without making a pop up to the left fielder? Like a lefty. Um... Are we reaching that point? <laughs> also, it's weird because Joey Votto is a left-handed hitter. So yeah, <laughs> you'd think he would have just like got underneath one and been trying to pull one of these days, but apparently not. Uh, apparently, he's never popped out to the catcher or pitcher either, which is... <laughs> <laughs> he had three positions that he's never popped out to yet? That can't be right. Well, that was accurate as of July of last year. The catcher one feels unbelievable to me. Yeah, well, he never like popped one behind him, and the catcher went back and caught it. I mean, if anyone could do this sort of thing, I think Joey Votto is the one guy. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Anyway, back to my original question: What do you think is the play that could could last the longest, or potentially a career that a hitter could ostensibly not make? I mean, so we're thinking like like a very obvious plays, right? Like. Like your your run of the mill like fly out or whatever, right? Because like I think a player could probably go his entire career without getting like a like a seven three uh, put out. Uh-huh. Hard to hard to hit into one of those things. Um, what what play do you think you could go the longest like an unassisted out? I guess should be the question. Even if the player knew that this is what they were trying to do, like their only goal was to have one fielder to like keep that in their bag, like to have one fielder that they've never made an unassisted out to. How long do you think they could do it? 
Um, how long? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would think that it would probably be the pitcher, right? Because they're the only one who like on like a pop-up on the infield, like their job is to just get out of the way and let the real fielders do something, right? Like, yeah. I feel like it's rare that the pitcher is ever the the one who's diving for the ball or running to to get the the guy out there. Use their job is to is to hand the ball to someone who actually knows what to do with it besides throw ninety five <laughs> miles an hour. But could you go your whole career without ever hitting like a weak liner right back at the pitcher? I feel like no. no. I feel like that happens pretty frequently. Uh, yes, I I think so too. But is it any uh, more? Is it more likely than hitting like a line drive second baseman? I don't know, man. Baseball's weird. You're right. I think I think if a player knew and they were a pull hitter, I think that they could go their entire career without popping out to the left fielder. That's my take. <laughs> <laughs> That's certainly a take. Like if you told you mean Joey just like Gallo, a normal like like a fly ball. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you told Joey Gallo for the rest of your career, I don't care what you hit, you're always going to get five plate appearances in a game, and we'll pay you thirty million dollars a year if you never fly out to the left fielder. I feel like he could do it. <laughs> yeah, I guess, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like at what point is that going to hinder anything that he's trying to do in his ball game? Like he's trying, it so will hinder hard him to- right away. <laughs> he will immediately be a much worse hitter. Twelve at bats in, the Rangers going to be like, never mind, never mind. You're We're bad. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> But if that was your only goal, I feel like you could definitely do it. Well, if that was your only goal, all you would do is bunt because you would never hit to the outfielder. But provided that you actually had to play like a like a professional player. Yeah, I mean, I think Joey Gallo is a bad example because I mean, he's a good example cuz like he pulls everything, but he's a bad example because he has no bad skills. <laughs> <laughs> you ideally want someone who can like compensate for this part of their profile that they're losing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't be losing that many pop-ups to left field. That's not really yeah, part of his profile. It's true. <laughs> I think you'd just get in his head after a certain point. Like, he'd try so hard not to hit his left field, he'd just start doing it for no reason. Have the Rangers tried this? <laughs> <laughs> Using yeah. reverse psychology on baseball players? <laughs> They should honestly try it. They could use all the help they can get. Jason Vargas, you actually want to give up home runs. They're like, <laughs> don't, oh. don't, put it, don't put that on him. <laughs> it's not his fault. The Mets are relying on him in their rotation to try and compete. All right. That's enough about Joey, Joey Votto and his incredible weird stats. Um, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And this is Tipping Pitches. All right, Alex, we left for over a week and the baseball world continues to burn. The latest in this news is that, if you'll remember, last week we talked about Ronald Acuna and his below-market contract extension from the Atlanta Braves. Well, the Braves said, we'll do you one better, and they gave not only a below-the-market contract extension to their second young second baseman, Ozzie Albies, they gave what you and I would probably argue is the worst contract in the history of baseball, to Ozzy Albies, it comes in at seven years, thirty-five million, with two-player, two-team options to bring it up to nine years, forty-five million, which the Braves will almost certainly pick up unless he gets very injured or becomes very, very bad. This has all been discussed uh, in large detail on the internet and elsewhere. 
over the last week, and we're pretty late to it because I think it happened last Tuesday, last Monday or something like that. So we're not going going to beat this dead horse. If you want to hear our takes on the below market contract extensions, we had this whole conversation about Acuna last week. Um, but I guess I thought we should bring it up really quickly. Um, so do you have any drive-by thoughts on the worst contract in baseball history? Here's the thing is that you don't even have to think that Ozzy Albies is going to be like a superstar to think that this contract is terrible. And like you can think he's a slightly above average baseball player even. You can think he's better than that. Mm-hmm. And this is still terrible because the dude is 22 years old. He signed for what like a like a 40-year-old first baseman would be getting over like a two-year contract like five or six years ago. <laughs> like this is like a this is like a, the the kind of deal that like Kendris Morales would sign a few years ago. No shade to Kendris Morales, Jay Bruce, Oakland A. But like come on, y'all. What are we doing here? We're not even trying to pretend anymore. Yeah. Even like conservative estimates in dollars for war and everything, even if you regress for like a a bad aging curve for him, he's like over a hundred million dollars under market value. So there's that. And we felt like we should mention it. But like I said, I don't think we should be this and be this further into the ground because we yell about this into the void enough and it hasn't stopped people from signing these contracts yet. Yeah, but I don't think that that should let us take away from the joy that a player like Ozzy Albies brings um, because he brings us a lot of joy as he uh, as he plays some baseball. Are you ready for this transition, Bobby? You know who also I'm brings so us a lot of joy <laughs> watching baseball? Fuck. <laughs> Is a... Uh, Milwaukee Brewers outfielder Christian Yelich, uh, noted noted yes, MVP winner and player on on yeah, your newly drafted fantasy baseball team, which mm-hmm. is the most important part. If we're being honest, I listeners should know that before the podcast started, we were talking about Yelich and his historic start, and I mostly couched it to the or I mostly I mostly tied it to the fact that he's on my fantasy team. And this is like just a year long victory lap for you. <laughs> yep. That I that I converted you. Yeah, you kind of converted me. I mean <laughs> <laughs> You're still reluctant on it. You still don't want to be doing it. Also, mostly my job converted me. It's not like you finally talked me into joining your fantasy leagues or anything. Yeah, fair, which I'm still mad about, but it's fine. I'll get over it. All right, next year. It's fine. Twenty twenty is the year. <laughs> Uh, tipping pitches fantasy league. Anyone listeners want to join? Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can prove to our listeners that we actually know baseball for once. <laughs> <laughs> Since we don't really do it on this podcast. Yeah, honestly. Um, Christian Yelich, really good at, uh, at hitting the baseball far. Uh, really good at doing that generally. But holy hell, the Cardinals must have like really hurt his feelings or something because what is he doing beating up on them? I wanted to know what the actual record for most home runs against one team in a single season was because Yelich already has eight. I mean, we didn't actually say this stat yet. Yelich has nine home runs on the year and eight of them have come against the St. Louis Cardinals so far, which is absolutely insane. Talk about like feeling like a guy is beating 
beating up on your team. <laughs> you know, yeah. like when you watch like your rivals or whatever, like I would watch Jason Worth or whatever, and I would always feel like Jason Worth would kill the Mets. This yeah. is like that to a completely different level. Um, yeah, this is l- like literally that. Like usually like when you say that, that you, team. <laughs> usually when you say that, you go and look up the stats and like the person's like maybe hitting like eh, 10, 10% or 15, better. Like, like batting average points above <laughs> like league average or whatever. <laughs> um, so the record is our man Lou Gehrig hit 14 home runs against the Cleveland Indians in 1936 in one season. And I believe that was before the season was expanded to 162 games, right? So that's... Yelich has a little bit of a ways to go, but he's already over halfway there to the record. But that's not really why I actually wanted to talk about this. The reason I wanted to talk about this was it occurred to me while I was at the Dodgers-Brewers game this past weekend and watching our man Christian Yelich do what he does. It occurred to me that at one point, the Miami Marlins... (laughs) Had Christian Yelich, Giancarlo Stanton, and Marcelo Zuna. And they just basically traded them away for nothing. And Yelich has been obviously on a ridiculous tear since then. And it's hard to project whether he would have done this with Miami or whether this has something to do with some kind of swing change that the Brewers have made since they acquired him or some type of onus that he took on himself to get better and the natural aging curve and all that stuff. but. I don't know, man. It's a weird thing to think about when you think about how young and talented that Miami team was and how they just kind of like traded each individual player for spare parts. And they're like not really sure what those spare parts are going to turn into, especially since like the player that they got back for Yelich, who's been basically the best player in the NL over the last two years, is Lewis Brinson. And he's been up already and hasn't been very good so far. I don't know. It, it It's just like, I know this is, I don't want to like pile on Marlins fans and not like any of them are listening to this podcast anyway, but it's just another notch in the belt of people saying, don't trade away your young stars. These are the people you're supposed to be trying to build around. What's the point of having a baseball team if you just trade away an outfield full of young, incredible players that were the draw and were the center of this baseball team's value and all that stuff. Like, it just makes me angry, man. It's just it makes me angry to see collections of talent broken up because like what Derek Jeter came in and wanted to tear things down to help pay back a loan. <laughs> I mean, what is darkly funny about this is that all of a sudden, like the Marlins have a collection of some fun young players, like especially the rotation has guys who throw really hard and have some pretty disgusting pitches. And it just kind of makes you wonder what their future would look like if they had these three really, really, really good outfielders in their prime, like the best outfield in baseball, in the middle of their prime, plus like a rotation full of young, somewhat promising pitchers. Like that's all of a sudden a team that you can build around. I know that people were saying that about the Marlins for like years. It was like, it was always like, all right, well this, this is like the Marlins year when like really they're going to make a push for something and it never happened. And that sucks. I get it. But like you traded your outfield for like 20 cents on the dollar. And what do you have to show for it now? Abandoned right field. What you have to show for it. Yeah. What you have to show for it is like more money. (laughs) And 
all every it just came out recently. I forget I forget where this was reported. I think it was Forbes. But it just came out recently that every baseball franchise is worth over a billion dollars. All of them. Yep. So that's what we've been saying this whole time. We've been saying yeah. this on this podcast since episode like three, when we stopped talking about shirt stops that we liked and started talking about labor and baseball. Like all these teams are worth over a billion dollars. And congratulations, Marlins. You got what you wanted. Now you get to watch Christian Yelich make all of the fans in Milwaukee happy for the next however many years because you traded him away. And now you just have a weird team on a weird timeline that could have been fun and could have been good. And I mean, I'm I'm not crying for this team because there's already three other good teams in my team's division. <laughs> but like, you know, I just, I don't know. I, 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 you hate to see. I don't think that the Marlins tearing down is really good for anything. No. It, it's cool to see these separate players on different competitive teams. And I'm sure that having these three players on their team would have been a reason not to try to become competitive in other areas. They would have been like, well, look at our payroll on these three guys and we can't possibly take a chance on these other guys. You know, it would have been a lot of that, but like, that's not really the point here. The point is that if you're not trying to be competitive, like the Marlins are not, then, then what's the point of even having a baseball team? (laughs) Yeah, actually my legitimate take that I absolutely believe is like if your excuse for not putting a competitive product on the field is that you don't have the money to do it then you shouldn't be in the business of owning a baseball team like it's it's that simple like if you supposedly can't spend the money to be good why do you own a baseball team what are you yeah. like, what are you trying to do like <laughs> like you're just you're just showing you're just tipping your hand there that it's like a vehicle for you to like run your money through and recoup some sort of investment on it you have no interest in actually putting a competitive product out on the field so like no. so like what are you what are we really doing here in any other walk of life we'd be like what the fuck is going on if old navy was like for the next 10 years we're going to make terrible shirts they're going to fall apart as soon as you put them on but our ceo is going to get rich like we'd be like okay i just won't buy your shirts but because there are more than just there's more than just old navy for us to go get shirts from, you know, like if I just decided I'm just going to make bad podcasts, I'm just going to not put any work into the podcast that I make. People would be like, all right, I just won't listen to your podcasts like or I'll just fire you, <laughs> you know, My, anyway, I mean, I don't know how this turned into a Marlins. I was, rant. <laughs> we should be celebrating Christian Yelich. I was just going to say, I think my favorite thing about this conversation is just prior to this, we started talking about Ozzy Albies and we were like, but we're not going to beat the dead horse about owners in baseball who have too much money and aren't spending it in the right places. Instead, let's talk about Christian Yelich and owners in baseball who have money <laughs> and aren't spending it in the right places. <laughs> Um, shout out to Christian Yelich. He's incredible. 12 more games, 12 more games against the Cardinals. He can do it, man. He can make it happen. He, yeah. 12 more games. He needs to hit six home runs against them. That seems like a tall task still. (laughs) (laughs) Easy money. Um, okay. Elsewhere in the world of home run hitting. Yes. We have noted basically league average shortstop Tim (laughs) Anderson, whom I love because 
Much like Christian Yelich. Tell us why. He's on my fantasy <laughs> team. <laughs> I, for the rest of the year, you need to frame every tipping pitches segment in like how it relates to your fantasy team. All right. Like we talked you know about Joey really Votto <laughs> and, uh, and Joey Votto is on your opponent's team this week. I think it's going to really get uh, listeners more engaged in it because as every yeah. fantasy player knows, everyone else loves to hear about your fantasy team. Absolutely. Yeah. Wait, congratulations on the fantasy team, bro. <laughs> anyway, Tim Anderson today, uh, he hit a big home run, and he didn't so much as bat flip as much as he like bat spear tossed. Yeah, like <laughs> he just like took through. the bottom of his bat and then just like threw it. Um, and it had a lot of attitude, and he was ready to do his thing. And of course, like clockwork, like every single time we talk about this. Every single time it makes us so tired. But of course, the opposing team, who was, who was, who the are the Royals? The Royals. Ah, yes, the Royals, <laughs> my favorite team. Uh, of course, they threw at him uh, on his, I think, his next at bat. Yeah. And tempers flared, the benches cleared. Um, before we get into the conversation about regressive baseball and throwing at people and the different overtones of this specific instance, I wanted to give a shout out to Martin Maldonado, the Royals catcher, who immediately got in front of Tim Anderson and was like trying to de-escalate the situation. And Anderson like tapped him on the shoulder and was like, we're cool, we're cool. But then he was still talking to the pitcher and that's when the benches cleared and then it turned into this whole big mess. Um, but I like a de-escalator, you know? I like a catcher who's willing to get in to go to the other team and be like, hey, I'm sorry, blah, 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 they're stupid, whatever. Because, <laughs> you know, like Maldonado was being like, you know, the pitchers want to throw at you. The manager was like, he, you know, blah, 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 blah. You hate to yeah, see Brad it. Brad Keller but- went and, and cried in the locker room and during the half inning, right? You just got to give him this, all right? <laughs> like that bat flip really hurt his feelings. I I weirdly am supportive of like opposing players on other teams, like calming down I, like cross team calm downs you know like there was yeah, this whole thing yeah. in the the lakers rockets brawl at the beginning of the nba season this year where lebron went and like held back chris paul who's like one of his best friends on earth and he just like grabbed the first person that he could immediately and tried to break it up and i'm like why is everyone like mad about this like why aren't you allowed to like be a good sport isn't this what like sportsmanship is just like trying to break it up at all costs and like talk to your fellow man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it breaks that facade that these are like players who Blood should be like pitted against each yeah. other and should like hate each other when they're on the field because they're trying to win this game. And it's like, no, but at the end of the day, like most of them are really friends and are friendly with each other. And it's nice to see them. I don't know. It's nice to see them show that emotion once in a while, you could say. But uh, but emotions, as we all know, n- not allowed on the baseball field. No, absolutely not. So let's get into that. It seems like every single time this happens, Twitter explodes. And certain times it happens more than others because you have baseball players like Randall Gritchick jumping in and sharing their opinion. And then you have former players being like, that's not the way that I was raised on. And then it becomes this 24-hour talking cycle. And we land on the same point every single time where it's like, There's one side of the debate where it's just like, well, this is just life. Such is life. This is just the cycle of the world that we live in. 
you want a bat flip, then you better be willing to be a man and get hit the next time down. That's not how we do this. And then there's the other side of the bait. It's just like, that is literally the stupidest thing I've ever heard. This is a projectile. It's extremely dangerous. If you don't want someone to bat flip on you, don't give up a home run. And we've heard all of the talking points. You and I have had this debate into the ether yelling at the cloud several times. I want to know, how does the cycle get broken? Do you have the answer for me, Alex? So how do I fix baseball's regressive culture? Yeah, I think I actually have it in a note here on my computer. Yes, please um, let me know. I have the yeah, I have the the answer right here. Uh, we're going to get rid of all the players and get rid of the whole league and start over. And then we're <laughs> oh, also okay. we're also going to get rid of the the men in all of this because they're a big problem apparently. Um, I'm not going to just call these players like a snowflake or whatever, (laughs) or tell them that they should toughen up or that they should just like learn to let things go. I'm not going to say any of those things because these are, they're either right wing talking points or, uh, or things that you tell a five-year-old. Um, on the playground mm-hmm. when he gets his feelings hurt. Um, so I'm going to say that baseball players should let the kids play. And okay. I would, uh, I'd really like it if announcers in particular and other commentators adjacent to the game would stop, uh, would stop enforcing this narrative that, uh, that you deserve some sort of retribution if you uh, if you flip your bat or something like that, or, or show any um, over the top display of emotion, because they are in large part the uh, the old guard that encourage fans to hold similar opinions, uh, journalists and and media members and all these people around the game very much influence public opinion on these issues, and uh, and if we all just like saying kumbaya and uh and just let everyone go flip their bat in the middle of a circle one at a time i think that we'd uh we'd all be a lot happier at the end of the day frankly so i guess the the philosophical question that's at the root of this problem and more or less every problem in the world is that you have to wonder and your answer leads me to believe that you think it's top down but you have to wonder whether this is like a top down thing where you can bring in announcers who are supportive of this and you can bring in major league baseball players who are saying the right things and letting the kids play. And you can have these ad campaigns and you can try to weed it out that way. Or whether this is like a, you have to be taught this from little league up kind of problem, a bottom up kind of problem, so to speak, where it's like, if you teach little league kids that there are no regressive unwritten rules of baseball, then they never know to do this until they get to the MLB. But the catch 22 with that, of course, is that little league kids go home and they watch major league baseball games they don't go home and watch other little league games and i guess it has to be obviously be some combination of both but my big my biggest concern is that like even at the major league baseball level when they are trying to do things that are progressive like the let the kids play campaign it's not really with the best intentions right it's trying to cater to both parties because as emma bachelary former guest of this podcast tweeted today she said, let the kids play with an asterisk. And then the asterisk was, 
Terms and conditions may apply. This offer not valid if display of emotion, enjoyment, slash general fun deemed too extreme. Clubs reserve the right to reject, quote, play via retaliatory throws at head. This offer cannot guarantee player will not be ejected, etc. So it's like she summed it up pretty well because the Let the Kids Play initiative is just PR. And more or less everything that Major League Baseball as an organization does is PR in order to gain revenue because Major League Baseball is, like we said, a collective of billion dollar businesses. And so I don't really know where the like instruction comes in or where the setting a good example by MLB players comes in because the large majority of MLB players, they're not voiceless, but to the average seven or 10 year old who doesn't live in like Kansas city, does Whit Merrifield have like a big voice? Like if Whit Merrifield comes out as like pro bat flip, is there someone in California who's playing little league? Who's like, I'm going to start flipping my bat now. I really don't know the answer to that question. And I guess this presents a larger question in like, how do we like unlearn these lessons and then relearn better ones about bat flips? If not for some of the good work that we've seen done by journalists like Mina Kimes and Sungmin Kim, who write about bat flips in the KBO and other stuff like that, where it's much more accepted. I think that the answer is probably some combination of all of the above. Um, there has to be some sort of buy-in at every level. And, and again, like this, this opens us up to to even deeper, like just cultural conversations about like respect for for other people and like the the competitive nature that's instilled into kids who play sports at such a young age, particularly young men um, who are pitted against each other from day one, essentially. Um, but Tim Anderson, uh, who had a had a quote after the game. Um, he, he was asked about the bat flip, obviously, and he noted that he doesn't plan to change anything because why would you? Uh, and then he stand. Yeah, we stand. And then he goes on to say, uh, I'm going to continue to be me and keep having fun, which is awesome. I love it. This is baseball. You should have fun while you're out there as we always say. And he goes on to say, Anderson fan podcast. (laughs) Then he goes on to say, our fans pay their hard earned money to come to the ballpark to see a show. So why don't I give them one? Tim Anderson for commissioner of baseball. Hell yeah. (laughs) Literally, you go there to to be entertained. You do. And and like, and you get mad about someone who sits there and like lets go of their bat too hard in the wrong direction. Like part of me is like, I want to have like a real rational conversation about this, about like the cultural, like, tendencies that lead some people to think this way and then the other part of me is like are you fucking serious right now yeah this is the kind of thing that keeps you up at night my god it is a game like get over yourself there's a reason that my mom knows the name of yasiel puig and doesn't know who the fuck whit merrifield is like or doesn't (laughs) really know who brett gardner is or guess what yasiel puig entertains tim tim anderson entertains tim beckham's bat flip in japan entertained People do. He's right. Nothing he said is wrong. Okay, here's the silver bullet. We've talked a lot about what you need, where the where the lessons need to be learned, where the unlearning needs to happen. Should it be top down? Should it be bottom up? All these different things. And we can talk about that till we're blue in the face. You know who could fix this problem? Who? It's Rob Manfred. <laughs> <laughs> if Rob Manfred cared about baseball and he cared about 
the players and he cared about the game in the way that a true fan really cares about the game and cares about players and cares about their team. If he really truly did, guess what? 30 game suspension. If it's deemed that you threw at someone, guess who's not throwing at people anymore? Everyone. You're not throwing at someone. If you're going to get suspended 30 games, Carmelo Anthony got suspended 15 games for punching another player for sucker punching another player in the NBA. This is not really that different. I could argue that it's worse. Yeah. I could kill you with a baseball. I'm probably not going to kill you with a sucker punch, but he's still got 15 games, which is almost 25% of their season. Yeah. So suspend a baseball player for 25% of the season, 31 games or whatever. Like, it's not rocket science here. It's just empathy. It's just caring about people trying to play the game how they feel is the most fun to them. It's not causing harm for Tim Anderson to throw his bat towards the dugout. It might be hurting someone's ego, but are we really in the business of defending Major League Baseball players' egos? Like, for what are we doing that for? And that's not even the the most nefarious part of this. We're not really in the business of defending their egos. We're in the business of stifling largely players of color who we're saying are playing the game the wrong way. But, I mean, that's obviously a whole bigger conversation. But, like I said, the silver bullet, Rob Manfred, you could suspend, in theory... I mean, no, this would never pass at collective bargaining negotiations. No one, I'm sure teams and players would probably not agree to getting suspended 40 games for throwing at people. But that's the kind of radical action that I'm talking about. These are the kind of things I want to hear coming from the commissioner of baseball. I don't want to hear about speeding the game up by three minutes. I don't want to hear about your law degree. I don't want to hear about the title belt for suppressing player wages. I don't want to hear about any of that stuff. I want to hear about how you're going to take like even a modicum of toxicity out of the game that I love. And so far I haven't heard anything about that. He doesn't even speak on this shit. I'm in, I'm in favor of suspensions for this sort of thing. I think what makes it hard is like, it's much easier to prove an intent to punch than it is an intent to like throw the ball. Like, 16 inches further inside than you meant to like yes. like it's so easy to just be like oh like like the uh, I just didn't have a good grip the ball like slipped away or whatever but like the like you were saying like the least he could do is come out when this sort of thing happens and say we don't stand for this sort of thing in this league and i'm sure that he's given some sort of boilerplate statement before that says you know we were that we want uh you know people to like feel safe when they play this game and we don't uh, condone any sort of like intentional like violence or, or anything like that, but come out and be like, Hey, uh, Hey, I'm in favor of bat flips. Bat flips are good guys. We should, uh, we should enjoy this and stop stifling this sort of thing. Yeah. Come out and be like, I don't want you in my league. If you throw out players. Yeah. It's that simple, dude. Yep. I, I know the case we have to make. We need to get an audience with Rob Manfred. Are you ready? Yeah. I have it ready. I have a PowerPoint. It's in my head. We get the audience ready. We get the audience with the commissioner. Get in front of him. We pull the PowerPoint up. Flipping through the slides. We're like, hey, hey man, like we want personality in our game. We want to be entertained. None of it's landing with him, obviously, because he's just like processing zeros and ones in his head, right? And we finally make eye contact with him. And I say, Rob, buddy, friend, pal, do you know how long it takes to get the game started after bench is clear? It's like 15 minutes, man. Think about what that's doing to your average game time. And in his head, the zeros and ones and twos are going. And 
his ears start to fume and he's like, that's it. That's the answer. A green light flips on at the top of his head and he's like, I banned throwing at people. (laughs) (laughs) I think he may have. So, you know, I think the only, uh, the only problem with that is that he wouldn't be able to, to actually tamper with the, the game itself. Like technically the benches clearing is something that's outside the purview of the nine inning baseball game. And, uh, and I think he's only allowed to change things that happen within the base paths, right? Like you can't touch yes. instant replay. You t- can't touch commercials. So you probably can't touch uh, benches clearing either, right? That's just, <laughs> that's just one of those things that has to exist. Like it comes with the territory. It's like we make this pit, we make this claim to him and all he hears is like, get rid of pitchers. And we don't have baseball pitchers anymore. We just all hit off the tee. <laughs> hey, I mean, no one would get hit anymore. You're right. Honestly, let's play baseball without the pitchers. <laughs> Bring back T-ball. I love T-Ball. <laughs> okay. One last thing before we bring back three up, three down. I'll let you give the rundown, the facts on this, because you were the one that brought it up in our rundown. Um, minor League Baseball is weirdly regressing back to not letting video be used. So we've talked about this on Tipping Pitches in the past, but the uh, the fact that baseball is lagging behind in terms of allowing its video content to be widely circulated. I think we talked about this when it was a uh, pitching ninja, Rob Friedman, who was t- tweeting out pitching gifts and essentially got like a copyright notice on social media from major league baseball. And then they worked out a deal or whatever, but that brought up the idea that baseball is very punitive, much like football when it comes to sharing content on social media and how that was very restrictive towards like, expanding the game, letting more people see what's cool, what's highlights and stuff. And that's something that the NBA has been really good at. Um, so do you want to give a couple more details about what's been going on in the minors? Uh, yeah. So basically word got out that minor league baseball was going to start um, sending directives out to official team, social media accounts, like Twitter accounts and that sort of thing, official minor league uh, like Twitter accounts. Uh, to place limits on the amount of videos from minor league games that they would be allowed to tweet out. These are like essentially properties of the league. This is these are the accounts that they have purview over. These this is all in their direct control, and they are saying we want to we want to put a some sort of cap. And I'm not exactly sure what it is because I don't think that we have all the details. It's very nebulous at this point, as most of these things tend to be. Um, but they're basically saying we want to um, start to restrict the amount of video that you can put out, and uh, and it goes even further to that sort of um, public sphere aspect that you were talking about, where they've been they have apparently clamped down on the the posting of videos from minor league games as well on external like public facing sites, places like Baseball America, which are instrumental to people who want to read about uh, upcoming prospects and the minor league system and all sorts of basically young baseball related news from here on out there are uh, there are no more videos of prospects in minor league baseball games on baseballamerica.com just none they had to take them all down because minor league baseball was like we're not into you uh, spreading the good word about this uh, this thing we're going on over here. And frankly, you know, I got to give them credit because it's a lot easier to suppress minor league wages when no one actually knows how good your players are doing and there's no video of anything that's going on. Um, but I guess I uh, 
I'm just really confused and I'm mad, but I'm really, I really do not understand after years of talking about baseball's brand and how they want to heighten awareness of all the fun young players, right? Their marketing campaigns at the major league level about how much fun the quote unquote kids are. And now you want to tell the public that they're not going to have any sort of access to this sort of thing anymore. Can you make sense of this? Because I will talk myself into circles trying to. I mean, I think it's exactly what you said. It's that it's a lot easier to suppress minor league players' wages if no one else is ever thinking about minor league players. The suppressing of minor league wages actually tangibly and directly depends on the public not thinking about it the fan base not thinking about it. Because if you have a fan base that cares and thinks about how little minor leaguers make, because I think like maybe half the fans don't really know, maybe more. If you have a fan base that thinks about that, that protests that, that even something like lobbies their congressman or congresswoman about that, like then suddenly baseball is in a really hairy situation because the thing that allows them to pay minor leaguers less than minimum wage is an actual United States law, the America's pastime law, which we've also talked about in the past on this show. There are legitimate people who are lobbyists in Washington for this sort of thing. And I'm not trying to like put my tinfoil hat on and say that like the reason that MLB doesn't want any highlights circulating anywhere. Like I, I wouldn't, I don't want to think that's too much of a leap probably, but it's all contributing to the same thing, which is the obscuring and the making invisible of minor league players so that you can pay them less. Like if they're toiling away in Tulsa and no one's ever thinking about them, then no one's ever tweeting out a video of Vlad Jr. hitting a 500 foot home run and being like, and this guy makes like $10,000 a year, you know, that's just not happening if the video can't exist. And so I do think that there is an active nefarious aspect to this. I also just think that it's a plain cash grab. I think that they're like, you want to use our video, pay us money, license it. Otherwise, it's just going to be on MLB Network. Like, I think in their ideal world, they would keep all of their video on MLB Network. ESPN wouldn't have it. Fox wouldn't have it. All these different things. And then everyone would have to pay for MLB TV. Everyone would watch MLB Network. But obviously, that's not going to happen because... The local cable contracts are the thing that fuel baseball. But I think that they would rather have SNY pay a premium price to have any of this footage, you know? And so I don't really know like the economic aspects that go into a decision like this, but I do know the cultural impact that goes into a decision like this. And I know that it's not good because I want to see highlights. I want to see videos of minor league players. I want to know what's coming up in the pipes. It get, it breathes an excitement for the team. It gives me a reason to come back and be excited about next year. It gives me a reason not to care that the Mets are trotting out Jason Vargas every five days because they have some elite pitching prospect coming up. I and mean, that's not actually the case, but that's the kind of stuff that allowing public interest in your minor league system provides. But if MLB had it their way, they wouldn't allow any public interest in their minor league system because they don't want anybody to know about the minor league teams because that is the greatest injustice in the baseball world. And they know it. Of course they know it. They are active in it. 
it's their choice. I get, I just like, I don't understand. Like I'm trying to like get inside their heads and, and like picture myself in that boardroom when they had that conversation, because it, it feels like such a like short-term vision for what you're, for what you're trying to build here. And I know that there is like some level of disconnect between minor league baseball and major league baseball. Like Rob Manfred doesn't oversee day-to-day operations, but he clearly, he obviously is like a part of this decision-making process. I mean, he has a vested interest in minor league baseball and amid this push to like widen your fan base and, and push baseball onto like that bigger scale, you would think that they would want to do whatever they can to like just get the word out. Like people are so hyped about Vlad Jr. And if he came up a year from now, we'd be seeing headlines uh, referring to him as like the best prospect we've never seen because no one would ever know what his swing looked like. And I, it just feels so counterintuitive to like the thing that they are trying to build here. Like this is a part of your business essentially that is so essential to like the health of the sport and to the existence of its future. And you want to obscure it completely from public eye. I mean, it's something that people actively care about right now, some baseball fans at the very least. And it would be, it's already a nebulous issue as it is. And I just feel like, I don't think the answer is just to like, obscure it completely but i i don't think that many of the things they do are the answer well it almost makes you think that this actually isn't the business that they're trying to build right (laughs) like they're not actually trying to build a business where players are the central focal point they're not actually trying to build a business that lets the kids play they're not actually trying to build a business where mike trout is more influential than george steinbrenner like they are that's the stuff that they're saying they're trying to build but business is fucking booming dude they'd rather have it their way and not expand they'd rather go down with the ship and have players continue to be obscure and have the bevy of young stars continue to not have the name and face recognition that nba players have and that soccer players have worldwide they'd rather have all of that and their money than change the way that they do things. And until we have some kind of radical rethinking of leadership, like that's never going to change. Yeah, I think that what saddens me about it mostly is that it feels like Rob Manfred and the rest of Baseball Brass, like I know that he's not the one making every single one of these decisions personally, much as we like to pin this on him, pin pin that on him uh, on this podcast. But (laughs) him and his cohort of... Uh, leaders in the baseball world, all the owners are complicit in this as well. Um, it just makes me sad to think about like this is they are are chipping away at the sport essentially one block at a time, so they can sell it off for fifty cents on the dollar and and make that cheap money, regardless of what it does to the health of the sport. Like you were saying, like it's it's not really it's not about yeah. that long-term view much as we would like to think that it is i it's it's you gotta line those pockets baby you gotta do what you gotta do if they weren't baseball owners they'd be climate deniers deniers like <laughs> we're talking about the same brass of person here <laughs> <laughs> okay i'll leave i'll let's end on this 
And because we've gone pretty long on this segment, but I should have known that we would we were going to go long on this minor league <laughs> baseball talk. But uh, I'll end on this. If you have the MLB at bat app and you go and you look at your favorite team and you want to watch a highlight, I want to watch Michael Conforto hitting a home run today, even though the Mets lost. I'd just like to see my beloved frat boy Mikey hitting a home run. If you go and you just want to watch one highlight, cool. You watch it. There's a pre-roll ad before the video. Fine. And say that you see a highlight underneath it of, um, or I guess a low light of, of Keon Broxton jumping and, and missing a fly ball yesterday as the Mets were getting absolutely pulverized. Say you want to do that. Guess what? Another pre-roll ad. Say you want to watch a highlight of Jacob deGrom tipping his pitches and, but still striking out eight guys. Guess what? Another pre-roll ad before it. Like, it's not really hard to see what their strategy is here. Their strategy is they want to control all the clips and they want to sell ads to companies before people watch these videos. Like they just, they just want to control it all. Like they don't. And, and of course it raises a larger debate about who owns what video and why. And I think that we, you and I come down on the side of, okay, probably like the players should be getting a larger stake in this, especially the minor league players who are not really making very much money at all and are generating a lot of interest and value for these organizations. Like minor league players drive all of the value for the organizations because they become major league players and major league players are the reason that we have teams and the reason that we can field all these teams and have a 30 team league and have stadiums and have concessions and have all of these things. Like it obviously all starts with the building block of minor league players, but you go in your MLB app bad app, there's ads on every single video. You can't watch anything without an ad. And that's why they don't want this content to just be available out into the public. Literally every single time we do this, we always uh, we always end with the heavy, weighty topic right before we segue back into the, the nice, light, and uh, and fun aspect. I never really know how to how to put a pin in these at the, the very end of the segment. Neither do I. So that's why I just fade <laughs> the music in. All right, let's take a quick break. All right, this is only the third week that we've done this, so I'm going to explain it for the third time. This segment is called Three Up, Three Down. It's uh, essentially a power ranking of things that Alex and I are thinking about in the baseball world, and every week there's nine total. The nine will be up on our website, tippingpitches.adivis.com, and every week we choose three things that are three new things that are going to enter into our power rankings and three things from the week before that are going to drop out. So essentially things we're thinking about more than usual and things that we are thinking about less than we were the week before. So if you don't understand what any of that means, uh, <laughs> I guess just like fast forward through this, but we're probably going to use it as an opportunity to talk about less weighty things than the crushing force of the evil empire, which is major league baseball. So we're actually just going to talk about better things, hopefully. Um, at least I know I'm going to bring up a couple better things, but I will defer to you and I will let you kick off this segment. So Alex, why don't you give me the three things that are falling off of your list first? All right. First thing off my list, <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, Bryce Harper, uh, my dude, I haven't thought about you in like a week. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you had that game. 
against the Nationals. It was great. But I've been so busy. I just, and you're on the Phillies. Like, I can't keep up. I apologize. There have been, there have been better bat flips than yours. I see what you're saying, but I have thought about him. I just want you to know. That's, and I absolutely respect that. <laughs> um, also off my list, the Mets relationship with their pitchers, which seems to have somewhat gotten better since they weren't in Syracuse and they signed their best pitcher to an extension. So, uh, mm-hmm. so things are good in that world. And then, uh, the last thing that has somewhat fallen from my list, although that is not to say that this, this is not a topic that I do not consider when consuming the game of baseball. <laughs> um, but, uh, that sports illustrated quote on Adubel Herrera has, uh, I think just because baseball produces so many, the the sheer volume of awful takes and um, ideas that come out of the sport from week to week, just you only have, you only have space for so many. And, uh, and so I'm sure that I'm sure racism will be back next week. It'll be back on the list because someone always brings it up. Honestly, I could put the Royals on there, but, uh, but Odubo Herrera, you're, you're still in my heart. Just know that. I just want you to know that I have the power to isolate you saying, I'm sure racism will be back. (laughs) (laughs) God. Yes, it will, Alex. All right. Here are the three things that came off my list. Yeah. Spending $100 on food at a ballpark. Because like I said, my parents were in town and uh, I went to the game with them and they spent a hundred dollars. So I didn't. There you go. Um, Ahmed Rosario looking happy because the Mets have had a tough stretch over the last few games, and they've been getting pounded by their division rivals, the Philadelphia Phillies. Um, although Rosario's playing fine. He's still ha- running into his usual struggles. He's still a little free-swinging, um, but his contact is better this year, and he looks great. But um, I've been thinking more about Ahmed Rosario looking sad than happy. Uh, the final thing that came off my list is conflicted rooting interests. I don't know. The Phillies haven't really played the Nationals. And honestly, I'm not conflicted anymore. I fucking hate the Phillies again. It's back. I hate them. I'll be rooting for the Nationals when those two teams play from from now on. (laughs) So I'm not conflicted anymore. (laughs) Uh, All right. Kick off the three up segment. Who is what concept is entering your list this this week? All right. I I know that you preface this uh, this whole segment by saying that we we God damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to bring us right back down. Uh, that we choose not to talk about the weighty things. And so I will at least go first with this one, but I can't let this week go by without saying that I have, uh, I've thought about Jackie Robinson. Um, who, mm. uh, it, it was Jackie Robinson Day this past week. And first of all, it's an absolute shame that we celebrate him essentially one day out of the year. Um, but it's also a shame the way in which baseball tends to celebrate him. Uh, this year it was a, uh, it was with a Bud Light commercial, which, uh, which, Hey, uh, Hey, we were talking about trying to monetize, uh, every aspect of your sport. Uh, he- here you go. Here's one. Jackie Robinson, who, uh, who didn't drink beer. Wasn't wasn't a beer drinker, according to his wife. But you know, I just slap a price tag on it and sell it to the public because why not? I mean, just you 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 do what you can, right? You're out here trying to make that money. Um, but I don't I don't want that to take away from the fact that like 
from Jackie, the place that Jackie Robinson holds in the game. And it also made me think of um, Roberto Clemente. And there was a story in the, the New York Times this past week by, I believe it was Good story. I believe it was by James Wagner, uh, your, our guy, our guy uh, about Roberto Clemente and how many uh, Latino players choose not to wear his number, which is number 21, despite the fact that it uh, hasn't been retired by Major League Baseball. And so... I gave you two things right there. Right? I I started with the dark, and I ended with the uh, the somewhat hopeful aspect. Uh, yeah. What the hell? Major League Baseball retire Roberto Clemente's number. He's like an absolute pioneer, one of the best and most influential baseball players to ever play your stupid child's game. He <laughs> transcends everything. All of this bullshit. He's very important. Retire his number. Okay. Well said, Alex. I agree. I know, I know, I, I don't know if we actually talked about it last year. I know we considered talking about it, but just kind of the general climate around Jackie Robinson Day in Major League Baseball is really weird. And also, it's in the vein of how we celebrate all quote unquote civil rights icons, right? Like Jackie yeah. Robinson was obviously, was and is and remains obviously one of the most important figures for baseball and for people of color. And for just America in general, but like, let's call it like it is. It's like very tokenized and very capitalized on by the league, much in the way that like Martin Luther King Day is capitalized on by brands and the FBI on Twitter and like all these other things. It's like celebrate Jackie Robinson's trailblazing and and bravery, like in the way that you play the game and and uh, and treat players throughout the rest of the year, not just like on this one day where everyone wears the retired number. Yeah. You know. How about how about you make it um, accessible to uh, young African American boys today who want to play the game? That would uh that would be something. And girls, boys and girls, we should say. Everyone, please. Um. Okay. Um. Let's move on because please. this is a long <laughs> podcast. Uh. Okay. The first thing that's been on my mind is um. Interestingly enough, a little self promotion right here. Pitch tipping. <laughs> <laughs> It's just about that time of the year where if a pitcher is struggling, the teams are putting out that conveniently placed PR that's like, we met with him to figure out if he's tipping his pitches. (laughs) (laughs) And I always find it funny every year how right when the season starts or in the dog days of the season when someone has dead arm or right at the beginning of the postseason when someone's not having a great postseason we conveniently get those planted stories to beat writers where it's like such and such met with their ace to talk about whether or not he's tipping his pitches. And <laughs> this happened with Jacob deGrom today, where I think the New York Post wrote a story that was like, first order of business is figuring out whether Jake is tipping his pitches. And I'm like, or maybe he just had two bad games. Like we could <laughs> we can chill a little bit. Um and if they are tipping their pitches, uh, well, welcome to the club. We embrace any and all pitchers who are tipping their pitches here at Tipping Pitches, the podcast. Uh, that's all I have to say on that one. I think that, honestly, if there's any lasting impact this podcast will have on me, it's going to be that my ears are going to perk up every time I hear that on a broadcast or read that in a, a story. And th- there's no reason why, because it's a perfectly mundane aspect of the game. And yet I will be sitting there watching a meaningless Brewers Cardinals game in which Christian Yelich didn't homer and the uh, and the broadcast will mention something about 
Cardinals pitcher tipping his pitches and I'll film a stupid video of it for 20 seconds and post it to our Twitter account because frankly, it's the only brand that we've learned how to cultivate. That was an amazing video. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I saw that your dad liked it on Twitter and I thought that was really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of the, one of the rare times that we show the the face behind the podcast. (laughs) Just sitting like solo watching baseball on a Tuesday. (laughs) Yeah. Didn't even make sound. Just like yelling quietly to myself. I love it. I love it. Face behind the podcast. All right. uh, What's up next? Another thing that's been on my mind is this, uh, is this Wikipedia page that I read off to you before this podcast started. And, uh, and it was not really enough to, uh, to make it into a full length segment, but it's, we could have made it, we could have made it work. We could have made it work, but I, I'm kind of glad that I got to save it for my list because this is the Wikipedia page titled list of major league baseball players with unidentified given names. And there are 39 players who are in the major league baseball history books. And we just have (laughs) no fucking clue who they are. Like <laughs> we just have one name and it's a very common name. It's just like Edwards who played center field for the Atlantics and Jones who played <laughs> field for the nationals. And it's like, but, but here you go. Jones also played third baseman for the metropolitans. So oh. the same Jones, I don't know. The world may never know. <laughs> um, That's actually uh, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> this this page says identification of players remains difficult due to a lack of biographical information. Uh, a Brooklyn, New York directory, for example, lists more than thirty men who could be the professional player Stoddard, and uh, and it also notes that there could just be mistakes in reading the box score because, like, you can't really read newspapers from the eighteen hundreds because everything just kind of bleeds together. They weren't very good at doing those sorts of things back then. So his name might be Halligan or Holligan. And we just we just never know. Sorry, my guy. Your 0 for 4 game is just lost to history. Tag yourself. Are you more of a Halligan or a Holligan? <laughs> I'm more of a Blair Bauer? Blur Bauer? <laughs> Van Halln. There's an apostrophe in there, so I don't know what the missing letters are, but that's me. I'm a I'm a, I think I'm a Holligan. No, I'm a Halligan. <laughs> It's like left Twix versus right Twix. <laughs> okay, that's really funny. Uh, my next thing is uh, I've been thinking about how the Red Sox might just not be a good baseball team. <laughs> um, and I've been thinking about that because they're not winning any baseball games. I think they won today, actually. So maybe this point was premature. Uh, actually, almost definitely this point is premature. But um, yeah, none of their players are playing well. At this moment, <laughs> you know, you, you hate, I do you love watching Jackie. Re- <laughs> you absolutely, you just hate to see it. Um, I do love watching Jackie Bradley Jr., who is a delight. But uh, Mookie Betts not hitting, Chris Sale not pitching, Blake Swihart not even on the team anymore, Dustin Pedroia unbelievably double cycle, mega rinsed, super washed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't even really know. Like Christian Vasquez at a home run today. Like, what the fuck are we doing? You know? Yeah. Um I don't know. I've just been wondering, like, what if the Rays just win that division? And what if the Yankees just claw their way to a wild card? And what if we just what if the Red Sox do that weird thing where they win the World Series and then don't make the playoffs, which they've done in this decade? That's been on my mind recently. 
I just want to point out here that uh, that a current host of this podcast predicted that the uh, the Red Sox might not make the playoffs this year. And, the current uh, host of this podcast, <laughs> as, opposed, as opposed to a former host of this podcast. <laughs> yeah, you know, all I'm saying is that like uh, the uh, the Red Sox not good at not good at doing baseball things. Apparently, Chris Dale <laughs> can't throw the ball uh, in a straight line, which is something that you. Uh, you usually want to do and you can only throw it like 89 yeah ah oh, it's like hard it's really to see. sad yeah it's hard to watch yeah he talked about how he it's like embarrassing for him and his family and the fans and i'm like jesus christ <laughs> yeah at least you're not chris davis don't you hate when you can't hate a team yes i do i'm like i don't want to see mookie Betts struggle what is this exactly like don't you you just Truly in my core, I just want to be like, fuck the Red Sox. You know, fuck know. Boston. Fuck that city. They've had enough success. And then I'm like, Chris, I see Chris Sale talking about how it's sad for him and it's embarrassing. And then I see Mookie coming out being like, being like, I just have to be better. Like, this is all on me. And I'm just like, oh, I know. I'm, I'm sitting there like just closing my eyes and thinking J.D. Martinez, Hitler posts, J.D. Martinez, Hitler posts, like just to <laughs> give me some sort of solace, like some reason to root against them. <laughs> All right. What do you got next? All right. My last one. And this comes courtesy of a story that Jeffrey Flanagan, who writes for MOB.com, he wrote this past week. This is a Zach Grinky story, which we are very fond of on this podcast. And so I I am not even going to comment on this. I'm I'm just going to do a a very a very very short dramatic reading for you guys as part of my uh, as part of my three up right here. Uh, and so this goes another story. Uh, Jershley, referring to Mike Jershley, who's a coach for the Kansas City Royals. Uh, he likes to tell is the time he needed to inform former Royals pitcher Zach Grinky he was getting called up in May 2004. Jershley called Grinky into his office, and the conversation. Went something like this, Jershley, whose name I think I'm saying right. <laughs> keep saying it. Just yeah. keep just we'll tweet just through power, it. power through. Zach, I've been told you're going to do one more start down here, and then they're calling you up. Congratulations, kid. You've earned it. I'm happy for you. Granky, after a very long pause, I don't know. Do you think if we asked them, they would let me go back to single A and be a shortstop? I think I can be <laughs> a pretty good shortstop. Jershley, after an equally long pause, what in the world are you talking about? Are you kidding me? Granky, I think I want to play shortstop. I was thinking I could start at single A and then, you know, work my way up. Jersey, <laughs> Zach, this makes no sense. What are you talking about? They're calling you to the big leagues. The big leagues. This is your dream. This is everyone's dream. Granky. Oh, okay. And with that, Granky got up from his chair and went back into the clubhouse. And to this day... Jershley doesn't know if Grinky was serious or not. Wow. Zach Grinky is a profound weirdo. I I'm I'm just in love with him. Um I think the funniest part of that story is that the guy's name is Jershley. Like that's just a totally made up name. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a that's like a typo in a Trump tweet. <laughs> Jesus. I honestly he could have made it as a shortstop, so uh yeah, he can hit the ball far. Okay, uh, I'm also going to finish on, uh, I'm going to finish my three of three down on a pitcher. Um, and that pitcher is Jose Alvarado, who is just absolutely 
fucking disgusting. I have nothing else to say about him besides that he's incredible. And I love like folding new players into my fandom, like as must watch players, even if, even if I'm not watching the Rays uh, at that specific time, like just watching the highlights of his saves. Uh, if you don't know, he throws like a 99 mile an hour sinker that just like dives at the last second. And it's like some of the nastiest, most pitching ninja stuff that you, that's, that's happening in baseball right now. And as longtime listeners will know, I'm a softy for pitches that move in weird ways. And I usually overdraft them in my, uh, all gift team. Uh, maybe I'll put Jose Alvarado on my list for next year, but, uh, yeah, Jose Alvarado, the Rays are really good. He's getting a lot of chances to appear in high leverage situations and he's, uh, he's incredible. He just also has such a violent, pretty delivery. I just love it. Yeah. We stand pitches that move in directions that they shouldn't on this podcast. You're very blessed to have a a great many pitchers on the New York Metropolitans who are able to do this sort of thing. But uh, frankly, the rest of us baseball fans should be able to share in this wealth. And so I'm glad that Rays fans have something to cling to. I have Blake Trinan, who, uh, who just does absolutely bonkers things with his uh, sinker. And uh, and yeah, baseball's uh, baseball's entertaining sometimes. I like it. I like it on on some days. I'm glad we could finish on a positive note. Yeah, I'm America at this best. with the none. Start to get the money from riding the haiku. with the none. Everybody on me, I'm looking just like you. Yippee with the what a blessing to be only a few weeks into the season and to already have a debate about our true patron saint of this podcast, Tim Tebow. Alex, a poll sent from the Dan Lebetard Show Twitter account today said, do you think Tim Tebow will get called up? Hashtag poll. <laughs> Hashtag social engagement. Oh, and then it was signed. It was signed Michael. Do they have to sign it when they send a tweet? If you're just, I don't know. But I want to tell you that there are 12 hours left in this poll. So by the time listeners hear this, it'll be over. But there are 12 hours left in this poll. I voted in this poll. I voted yes. And so far, it's 53% yes, 47% no. Alex, the people think that Tim Tebow is going to be on the New York Metropolitans this year, the year of our Lord, the year of Tim's Lord, 2019. My question to you is not, will he be called up? My question to you is, should he be called up? Do I legitimately think that Tim Tebow should be called up? Do you, Alex Baisley, someone who once applied to be a part of the Yankees front office analysts, think that Tim Tebow, the baseball player, not Tim Tebow, the personality, not Tim Tebow, the that we talk about frequently and gives us incredible content, not the lol Mets version of Tim Tebow. I think I'm asking you if you think that objectively Tim Tebow should be called up this year, because there is a right answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really hope that your objective answer is your objective, serious answer isn't yes. I, I really hope that that is not it because we we may have some issues. He's holding his own in AAA right now. 
He's batting a, a robust 176 with a, with a 40% <laughs> strikeout rate. And as everyone knows, your numbers tend to improve from AAA to the major leagues. So we can only expect that he would perform better if he got called up. And, uh, you know, he has a WRC plus of 27. So to give him some credit, <laughs> he has a lot of room to improve. Like, he can't possibly get much worse. Um, so this is incredibly rude. <laughs> I, do I think he will get called up? You know, it, it really is possible he sees a major league at bat this year in September. Do I think he should get called up? Am I about to burst the the bubble of the bit that we've been doing for the last two years? Um, I don't know that I think that Tim Tebow should be on a major league baseball team ever. Are you ready for my answer? I don't know if you are, but I'm going to give it anyway. <laughs> Please do it. Just do it. Wreck me. The answer is yes. He should be called up. Why? He's done more than Why? enough to prove that he's that he's serious about this baseball thing. He's toiled away in the minors for now. This is his third year. He was actually really good at Double A last year. I, I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend like he was like Juan Soto or Ronald Acuna or anything like that. But he had a WRC plus of like I think 109 or 110 or something like that. He had 273. His OPS was like near 750, which is not great. He wasn't walking a lot. But guess what? He didn't play baseball for over a decade. Here are the other outfielders at the AAA level for the New York Mets. Gregor Blanco, Rajay Davis, Carlos Gomez. So combined age, 147. And then Reimer Liriano, who's sitting 217 this year, and Travis Tijeron. So on pure merit, it's not like the Mets have any young promising outfield prospects at the AAA level that are just banging on the door to come up. And I honestly don't know if Yohannes Cespedes is going to play any baseball this year. Brandon Nimmo just went out with a stiff neck and a few of the Mets outfielders have been very injury prone in their career. I'm, I'm speaking seriously. I really think during September call-ups when the Met, then there's a 40 man roster, I think Tim Tebow should be called up to the major league roster. I believe this. <laughs> Who else are you going to call up? Carlos Gomez? I, he's Davis? literally played major league baseball before. So yes, <laughs> I will call him up. Tim Tebow had a BABIP of rounding 420 <laughs> in double A last year. You can't argue that he should get it just because he wants it, just because he's tried hard for three years. Oh my God, dude. I would be the editor-in-chief of the fucking New York Times if that's how this thing worked. <laughs> I tried so hard to be a journalist for the last few years. That was only that was only my first point. The rest of the points still stand. The only other people he's competing against are completely washed out MLB veterans. You can call multiple of them up too. You have a 40-man roster. You have 15 new spots. They should call him up. Even if he's not up for the entire time, even if he's not taking a roster spot for the entirety of September, he should appear in a Major League Baseball game this year. He is good enough to at least strike out three times. I'm fine with it. I've come to terms. I think he should be called up. <laughs> you know what? I bet you All didn't right. see this coming right. today. <laughs> I, I give in. You've convinced me. I want to be able to continue to talk about him uh, for the rest of his career on this podcast. So I think I have to stand him and say that he should get called up. Thank you for 
recognizing me as a person. Thank you for telling me I'm valid. Okay. <laughs> oh yes, I made it alive. It's your drive. Get it to paradise. In this moment of mine, I can recognize. All right. I think that's plenty. That's all we have time for, and then some. Uh, I want to say thanks to all of you who listened and who are still listening this late in the podcast. Uh, I also want to apologize for taking so long to get another podcast out since our last one. Uh, hopefully yes, we can... It's my fault. It's because I'm a flake. I'll cop to it. It's fine. You're a flake. I'm too busy for my own good. Uh, we both have our issues. But hopefully we can get back on a regular schedule at some point. I'm just going to keep saying that, like Groundhog's Day. <laughs> and maybe it'll happen one day. Um, you will it, will it into existence. Exactly. I'm willing it into existence just like I'm willing Tim Tebow being a Major League Baseball player into existence. I'm doing it for the betterment of the people. If you are interested in being in part of a Tipping Pitches Fantasy Baseball League next year, which I doubt anyone actually is, uh, you can reach us at tippingpitchespod at gmail.com or tipping underscore pitches on Twitter. Uh, Alex, leave the people with something interesting to sign off with. I'm going to leave the people with a quote. This is Yasiel Puig on Joey Votto. He's the best guy I've ever met in my life. He's having dinner with me every day. Talk to me every day. <laughs> every text day. me. Oh my God, Yasiel Puig and Joey Votto are best friends. This is arguably the only reason I still want to live in this world. This makes me very happy. So, uh, and I'm sure it makes all of you happy too. I didn't know that you were God and we were living in your simulation because this is the only way that that could happen. <laughs> Ah, uh, things are good sometimes. All right, thanks for listening, y'all. See you next week. I'm sitting there, like just closing my eyes and thinking, JD Martinez Hitler posts, JD Martinez Hitler posts. <laughs> <laughs>